Some of my favorite scripture is 2 Peter 1, 16-21. Now, 2 Peter 1, 16 says, Regarding the gospel, for we have not followed cleverly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And with that wonderful scripture attesting to the facticity, the historicity, the truth of the gospel, we welcome you to the American Family Radio Network. Hey, it's Friday morning. We have every reason to be excited, energetic. We welcome you as you're listening and whatever you're doing, maybe you're driving, maybe you're at home starting your day. We just want to say thank you for listening to AFR, and may God bless you. And oh, have we got an exciting hour of radio. This this is awesome. And in fact, you know what? We may even take phone calls. It's Friday morning. Everybody's upbeat. Everybody's happy. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And I do want to talk about a number of things in the news, a lot going on in the world, but I want to talk about that scripture, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, talks about Jesus, and it it really speaks to the historicity of Jesus. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, speaks to the deity of Jesus, because Peter said we, we were on the holy mountain with him, Peter, James, John, the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. But you know what? 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, not only talks about the the Son of God, it talks about the Word of God. It says we have this sure word of prophecy. And uh, now think about this, the Bible, uh, the understatement of the century. It, Peter says, the Word of God, a sure word of prophecy, which you do well to take heed. In other words, if you're smart, you'll listen to it, the Word of God. Well, I want you to meet a very special friend, because with me, here at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention here in Nashville, Devin Patrick is running the board as he always does, but across the table from me is somebody I've admired for a long time. His name is Neil Mauman. He is uh, an author, he's a speaker, he's a Christian thinker, but part of the reason, Neil, that I, I brought up the Second Peter really in honor of you, my friend, because he's a, an apologist. He's a defender of the biblical worldview, and he does a lot of things, but whenever I introduce him, and he's uh, been a friend and a colleague in apologetics for a long time, I always tell people when I introduce him, I say, hey folks, the IQ points in the building are getting ready to go up exponentially, because Neil Mauman is entering the room, but he's, he's a brother in the Lord and a colleague in the gospel. Thanks for being with us on the American Family Radio Network. Wow, you've just built me up now. I got a really impressed. Well, <laughs> the listen. pressure's on. Uh, you do. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, by the way. You know, you've done a lot of things. I want to talk about it. But um, you wrote a book a few years ago. And the title is, is Jesus was not involved in politics. <laughs> but the word not is crossed out. Jesus was and is involved yes. in politics. and yes. uh, um, But before we get into the premise of that book, welcome, and just tell everybody a little bit about um, who you are and the, the ministry that you engage in. Well, my biggest, of all my biggest achievements, my highest achievement is I introduced Alex McFarland to Indian food. Oh, and, <laughs> and I thank the Lord for that to this day. Oh, boy. We did. We had a ministry thing in California. Yeah, San Jose. And, um, and you are of Indian extract. Yes. Now, did you uh, grow up in India? No, I did not actually. I very I have I've been less time in India than I have in many other countries. I actually was born in Ghana, 
grew up in Jamaica, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Yemen right. before coming to the States. So uh, India was where we went on vacation. So yeah. it wasn't someplace I actually lived in. <laughs> but, but your family was originally from India? My parents are of Indian origin. Uh, they are actually Indians, and they, uh, they were, my dad was a professor in physics, traveled around the world, mm-hmm. teaching at different universities, and that's how I got to be the global traveler that I am. And of course, then later on when I became an engineer, I was traveling all over the world trying to, and this is interesting now, it's a big deal, of course, but I was uh, traveling around the world trying to get people to adopt video compression and design MPEG encoders. Oh, wow. And and this is back when those file types like MPEGs were... Were unknown. Nobody knew what it is. So I I helped design the very first. It's it's actually MPEG 1 layer 2, later on layer 3, which we call MP3s. Uh, Back then it was an MP1. Three, right? Or went to MP1 two. So we designed the very first chipset for that at LSI Logic in 80, 1989. Wow! And, and the purpose was for uh, terrestrial radio. So basically, radio stations could now broadcast digitally. So back in '89, that was the plan. Of course, later on, then you got the iPod mm-hmm. using the same technology. Wow! Wow! Well, and I, I want to unpack that, but I, I've got to ask you this: Did did you grow up in a Christian family? Yeah. So my dad was. So I actually. So my extended family is all Marxists and communists, so not all. But a large number of them. Really, uh, two of my uncles were leaders in the communist. Three of my uncles were leaders in the communist movement. Uh, one actually became uh, general speaker of the General Assembly of the World Council of Churches, which is a very liberation theology. Yes, WCC. Uh, and he was, you know, he was like the, one of the. Uh, he was the, pretty much the chairman. They don't have a chairman, but it was equivalent to the chairman back then. Uh, but my dad was a communist and an atheist until I was about five, and he became a Christian. So I actually grew up in a Christian home. And since he was a professor in physics, a very uh, scientifically-minded Christian home. And that's actually what led me to apologetics, because I came to the States in, in the 80s, and I found most Christians were running away from science. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I said, no, science, if it's true, will lead you to God, not the other way around. Amen. That's what I'd been taught my whole life, and I believed it, and I was following the evidence, and I thought I could use science to bring people to God, especially as an engineer in Silicon Valley growing up in you know, around what would later be Google <laughs> and Amazon yeah. and all that, right? And Facebook. So that was right in the valley. And so all my friends were atheists or, or Hindus or whatever, but uh, science was the way to them. And so that's why I got involved in politics. You know, I mean, but, not politics, apologetics. Uh, apologetics. <laughs> and politics, course. that's a separate story. <laughs> and I want to go there. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is the American Family Radio Network, Alex McFarland here uh, from the National Religious Broadcasters. And we're talking with a beloved friend and, and valued colleague, Neil Mauman. Uh, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this renaissance of atheism, and um, some writers like Victor Stinger and Richard Dawkins and yeah, Christopher The new atheist. Yeah, the new atheist. Uh, did that surprise you? Because it, it surprised me, in, at least in this regard, um, intelligent design and you know, information theory arose, and we learned that the DNA really is encrypted data, and we know that uh, we've never observed information come from anywhere but an intelligent source. So, you know, in the 80s, 90s, there's all this science that really does point to a theistic universe. And yet in force, 2003, 4, right. 5, 6, 7, comes this atheism, which has really um, drawn a lot of people into unbelief to this day. Yeah. Did that surprise you? Well, it's, it surprised me because... What had happened is, and looking back, when back then I was like, this doesn't make sense. 
But now looking back about it, I realize it was an era of ignorance. If you look at all those atheist leaders, none of them had any backing in philosophy. And even till today, I see that nonsense going on. I'll argue with someone and they'll say, well, they'll, say, well, they'll, they'll make a, a foolish statement. I said, have you ever read Socrates or Plato? Because that, this has been dealt with for the last 3,000 years. You know, I mean, this is nothing new. You're coming up with something that we've dealt with before. And he says, well, philosophy doesn't prove anything. I said, well, you can't. The very, that statement that you just said is a philosophical statement. <laughs> right? Exactly. And if you look at Dawkins and you look at all those other guys, they had abandoned philosophy, the basic philosophy. Um, and Lars Krauss has no philosophy background, mm-hmm. even though he's supposed to be a PhD, right? right? You'd think he'd have done some studies in philosophy before he could get his degree. But what you see is this complete absence of, you know, science is everything. Well, the scientific method, philosophy is the father of science. If you don't have a philosophy of science, you don't have a science. So how can you say, because here's, a, and the funniest thing is, you can't prove science using science. That, that's true, that's true. <laughs> and, and everybody has a, a philosophical makeup of how they look right. at the world. And by the way, you mentioned Socrates and Plato, and let me interject, and I would say even more importantly than Socrates and Plato, Aristotle because logic. Yeah. Listen, folks, do you know you're running on a software platform you have been all your life, and it's called reason, rationality. The good Lord made you to think logically, and here to endeavor that we would all think with more precision, more accuracy, and our premises and conclusions would be biblical and godly. Alex McFarland and Neil Mauman on this hour of radio with the American Family Radio Network. Now, hey, very quickly, give a website, and we'll get going to come back and so my website is noblindfaith.com noblindfaith I'll give you a lot of website noblindfaith is the first one noblindfaith.com come to you from the national religious broadcasters this is the American Family Radio Network Alex McFarland saying stay tuned we're back after this let's see if something costs less but people are happier with it That sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Exploring the Word. I think it's wiser to lay the issue out before God than to tell God what to do. That's very wise, and it takes a level of trust to do that. I trust you, Lord. Makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, you're able to deliver us from this fiery, burning furnace. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. We trust you no matter what. Join Bert Harper and Alex McFarland weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio. This is the time where we all better be on our knees in front of our windows. Where we better have the boldness to stand on the truth of God's word. Where our allegiance better be to him. Listen, he alone has an enduring kingdom. He alone, he alone makes promises and keeps them. God alone 
Nobody else. Airing the Addisons, weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFR. Alex McFarland here. By the way, if you uh, know my voice, it's probably because of a show called Exploring the Word. Bert Harper and I, for a decade now, Exploring the Word is live Monday through Friday on the American Family Radio Network, 3 to 4 Central Time, 4 to 5 Eastern Time, and so forth and so on. And what we do on Exploring the Word, we teach the Bible. And Bert and I are going to start, probably be uh, next week, we're going to start Song of Solomon. And, you know, you don't often hear that book taught, but what we do on Exploring the Word, and I invite you to tune in, 4 to 5 Eastern, 3 to 4 Central so on and so forth. But we teach the Bible for half the show. Then we take calls, Bible questions. And Bert and I have a brand new book that came out October 12th, 100 Bible Questions and Answers from the First 10 Years of Exploring the Word. And uh, Devin, yesterday we met with a publisher. They love it. They want another book. And Bert and I had a meeting with Broad Street Publishing and their staff. And uh, pretty exciting. We're going to do another questions book. I mean, this is easily a year from now, and maybe even some more uh, pretty exciting things that they've asked Bert and I to write on. But uh, we appreciate your support for Exploring the Word. My website, by the way, is alexmcfarland.com. And uh, Neil Mommen, you'll appreciate this perhaps, we do a summer worldview camp every year for teenagers. And our theme for this year, and by the way, the worldview camp is July 17th through 22nd, it's unashamed Building Your Biblical Worldview. It's for middle schoolers, high schoolers. Will and Mickey Addison will be there, just beloved personalities from the American Family Radio Network, Will and Mickey, five days. And uh, I'll be there every single day. We've got speakers. We've got uh, great music, great food. Now, we're going to be just an hour east of Raleigh, North Carolina. Super easy to get to. Now, we've been in California and Texas, all over the country, but just so happens this year we're in my home state of North Carolina, But you fly into Raleigh, it's about an hour's drive. The camp is called The Refuge, and there's horseback riding, there's paddle boarding, and there's ropes course, and, you know, all the fun camp stuff. We're going to roast marshmallows around the fire. But the best part of all, we're going to talk to your kids, your middle school and high schoolers, about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a Christian? And then we're going to talk about, just as Neil Mommen is talking about, defending the faith. And not only that, And Neil, we didn't always do this. 22 years ago, we would do our youth camps, and we would talk about biblical worldview and apologetics. But now we talk about America, and we we talk about God and country, because we don't want our kids to go away to college and become nice little socialists, you know? (laughs) And so I I feel like in our ministry, and I've had a few preachers say, well, hey, I thought it was about the gospel, and it is. Jesus and the gospel is preeminent, front and center. But, um, you know, because we've got to live here until we go be with Christ one day, I think we've got to roll up our sleeves and try to defend America. So the youth camp is July 17th through 22nd, all that and more at my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. Hey, before the break, you mentioned your website, uh, noblindfaith.com. Uh, what does that mean, Neil? Well, uh, so my ministry is called No Blind Faith, my apologetics ministry, because 
growing up amongst Hindus and Muslims, one thing you'll know about Hindus and Muslims is it's all blind faith. You can talk to a Muslim and, and you can try to argue reason. And most, now there are, you know, Muslim apologists, but most Muslims will get emotionally angry at you because you're trying to talk about their faith. Uh, most Hindus don't get angry, but they're like, yeah, but it, what you believe is fine for you, what I believe is fine for me. It, the, it, faith has nothing to do with the reason, right? Mm-hmm. Even though Indians are some of the highest technical minds in, in the Silicon Valley right oh, now. Oh, my right? goodness, yes. You know, there yes. were most of the people there, right? All the big companies are headed by Indians now. M- so, my wife is a nurse. Uh, many of the doctors right? for whom she has worked, yeah. the medical doc- and surgeons are Indian. Right. But they, m- many of them separate their Hinduism from, from the science, right? So growing up, it was th- that was my understanding that you know fate should not be blind, and yet most people did. But when I came to America, I was shocked that most Americans felt that way. And that's why we started No Blind Faith is because I was finding myself arguing people. And, and I would have people say, look, I don't know. I, 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 okay, so funny story. I, I'll get called by a mom who says, because I was in junior high and high school ministry. In fact, I developed my speaking skills talking to junior hires. And I maintained that because now the average adult has the same uh, attention span as a junior hire back then, right? That's, <laughs> of the that's really true. <laughs> right. So I keep the same pace. But like I would get called to a mom and say, hey, my son is uh, abandoning the faith. Can you come help talk to him? So we sit down at their dinner table or something and, and I'll, I'll say, why do you believe what you believe? And I will go around the table and the mom says, because the Bible tells me so. And, and then I'll ask the mom, so if the Bhagavad Gita told you so, you wouldn't believe it? And she would go, no. I said, well, what's the difference between the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita? She goes, one is the Word of God. I said, how do you know it's the Word of God? And at that point, she's looking at me like, did I make a mistake inviting this guy into the house? <laughs> and the kid's going, yeah, 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 because he's exactly on the same page. He says, why should I believe the Bible? Yeah. Well, here's why you should believe the Bible. You should believe the Bible because you can prove it's true. Amen. Amen. Because otherwise, why not believe the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Book of Mormon? I mean, pick anything that you want. Why not believe those? Mm-hmm. Uh, because those people have more faith in their books than we have in ours. As I say, look, uh, some Muslims are willing to go out of their sphere of comfort to kill somebody for their religion. We're not even willing to go out of our sphere of comfort to save someone or preach the gospel to them for our religion. Yeah. Right? So what's the difference? The difference is if, you, if you're going on faith, then you should just be a Muslim. Yeah. But if you're going on truth, then you should find out what the truth is. You know, um, church signs can be endearing and funny sometimes. You know, people put things on their church sign. There's a, there's a famous meme uh, on the internet, and I actually saw this sign, and I forget where it was. It was, in the, it was in the South, and I'm from the South, the Bible Belt. But in front of a church on the sign, somebody had written, Reason is the enemy of faith. Oh, my gosh. I would submit to you folks. Goodness. goodness. Now, now, I get it. We're supposed to put our faith in Jesus and give our heart to Jesus. I know that. But I would say that is one of the most unbiblical sentiments. Yes, absolutely. You, uh, let me say this. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason. reason together, saith the yeah. Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. J- uh, John 539, the Lord said, search the scriptures. They testify of me. Right. First Peter, um, Second Peter one sixteen. We have not followed cleverly devised fables. Neil, speak to the idea that um, actually God made us reasonable. That's part of what it means to be a human being. But reason, true reason, and searching the evidence, following the trail. Uh, that's the friend of Christian faith, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, I think I have to disabuse people a lot of things. God did not invent logic. God did not invent reason. God did not invent mathematics. He did not invent a lot of things. Why? Because they emanate out of him. 
when did one plus one become equal to two? It was always equal to two. Did, can God change one plus one equal to? No, because that's part of his very nature. These are transcendent arts, as I call it. And if you want to know if something's transcendent, imagine if there was no universe. Would one plus one still equal be equal to two? Absolutely. So that's a transcendent thing. That's part of who God is. So God cannot be illogical. God cannot be unreasonable. God cannot be, um, you know, go through a whole list of these. God cannot make one plus a, a round square, right? Yeah, yeah. All these things he can do because that's part of his very nature. So God is logical and rational. Now, we may not understand. I, had a, I was driving down the street one day with a friend, and, he, and I explained something. He said, Neil, uh, and, I said, and, and I ended with, see, it's just logical about God. And he said, well, Neil, that's man's logic. You don't know what God's logic is. And I turned to him and I said, you're a very smart man, but that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard of you say in exactly. my life. I said, because there is only one logic. You either have God's logic or you have illogic. And, and <laughs> you know, reasonable, uh, reasonableness, logic, truth, mathematics, um, it, it, it flows from God's righteous, yeah. orderly nature. Yeah. It's part of his p- character, right? Well, he can't be, yeah. he can't, it's just like, it's hard for you to change your character. It's impossible for him to change his character. That's but I right. want to add one more thing. Sure. So, so what I do with, with most kids is I say, look, there, there are five or six things that we have to cover. One, blind faith is bad. Two, you can prove that God exists using science. And mm-hmm. I wrote a book on this called Who's Agent X? Proving Science and God. Prophet, Great book. Right. And, then, I, and then, I, then the next one is you can prove that the New Testament manuscripts that we have, this is the third thing we do, that we have is actually a, uh, 99.8% accurate, and right. there's only 400 words that we're in doubt of, and those are minor words, right? Yeah. So we know that. Three, we, uh, we can prove that Jesus Christ really existed was a human, uh, real human being. And number four, we can actually prove within, within a case that would stand up in a court of law that Christ died and physically rose again from the dead. And Case for Christ is a great book on that. Right. And then the last thing I talk about is I talk about evil and God. How can God exist when there's so much evil in the world? And that's a longer conversation. But once you answer those five things, most rational people will say, yes, you've got a good argument there. Now, will they accept Christ as a result of that? That's a question of the heart. But at least when you take them to that point, then they have no more excuses. And I've had atheists, discussions with atheists. I bring them all the way down there, and they say, look, um, no, I don't want to believe in God. Why? Because I just don't want there to be a God. I know. That's like, do you know the famous quote by uh, Thomas Nagel? And he says, uh, he says, I'm disturbed by the fact that many of my most intelligent, most accomplished friends are religious believers. And he says, it's not that I don't believe in God and naturally I hope I'm right. It's that I don't want there exactly. to be a God. I don't want the universe to be that way. Yeah. And you, you see, that's very telling. Folks, if you're just tuning in, Neil Mommen and I are having a conversation about apologetics, worldview, Alex McFarlane here. But here's the thing. Uh, I, I do think the evidence is compelling. Neil, I, I believe, um, first of all, the existence of the universe, what we know about the beginning of the universe, the, the orderly nature of the universe, DNA, then the Bible. Uh, miraculous preservation, miraculous fulfilled prophecy, miraculous power to change lives. Then we've got Jesus, amply historically documented. I believe all of these things are best understood in terms of there being a God, a revelatory God, a God we can know, and a God who loves us personally. You know, let's say you and I came in this room. Uh, we're, by the way, we're in the media suite of the National Religious Broadcasters. AFR has a room where we're doing broadcasting. So let's say we don't know anything, and here's, here's a door that's partially propped open. We come in this room, and 
Uh, okay, on a table, there's a big board that looks like a mixing board. There's a bunch of microphones. There's headphones. There's power supplies. Uh, nobody's in the room, uh, but it's not a kitchen. It's not a tool shed. You know, it's it's not a grocery store. And I look around. There's microphones, headphones, gear, mixing board. I'm like, you know, I don't know everything, but I'm guessing this is some sort of studio. You know, that's the best conclusion in light of the known data. I look at God, the Bible, Jesus, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I don't know everything, but I'm guessing this is a theistic world. There's a God, and apparently he's made some overtures that I might know him. Would you agree? Yeah, well, if, if anything exists, something must have existed forever. Exactly. That's the philosophers, right? Every effect had a cause. Yeah. Hey, this is the American Family Radio Network. Hey, apologetics is good, clean, fun. Folks, roll up your sleeves and let's get in the game of presenting, explaining, defending the faith. Present, explain, and if need be, defend the Christian faith. And we're here to help you do that. Stay tuned. We're going to come back with more with Neil Mommen. If you have an apologetics question, 888-589-8840. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. As caregivers, we are weary, fearful, wounded souls trying to stand between a vulnerable loved one and even harsher circumstances. But the grim things we face can cause our hearts to daily break, and we cry out for relief and to feel better. During our journey as a caregiver, there's going to be many times where we won't feel better. Someone we love suffers, and we're often powerless to do anything about it. You're never going to feel better about that. But that's not the goal. The goal becomes to be better as we journey through this often long valley of the shadow of death and to be healthier on every level, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. We can be healthy while caring for someone who isn't, even if we feel heartbroken over what we must do as caregivers. We're not always going to feel better, but we can be better. And let's do this together. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing With Hope. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Aria is suffering for the gospel. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and eventually received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He beat young Aria nearly to death and called the officials to report her as an infidel. They took her to a remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend and eventually let them go. 
Now these two women, they didn't grow bitter. They grew bold and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East where it's nearly impossible to get a Bible. And that's why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to Bibleist believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20, every gift matched. Call 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word or click sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Welcome back to the American Family Radio Network. Uh, Alex McFarland here. We're talking with our dear friend, Neil Mauman. And apologetics, we love it. Uh, by the way, folks, if, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to rise to the challenge of 1 Peter 3.15. It says, be ready to give an answer. Uh, we could spend an hour unpacking that wonderful portion of Scripture. 1 Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer. So if you're a Christian, let me encourage you to acclimate yourself to apologetics. I, you know, if you Google my name, I've written 18 books on apologetics. Uh, Neil has great books. His last name, by the way, is spelled M-A-M-M-E-N. But uh, we're going to sort of change gears, uh, if we could, and talk a little bit about culture and politics, because ideology, what people believe, drives things. Neil, you've got a, a ministry that you're part of called Every Black Life Matters. Every, E-V-E-R-Y, everyblm.com. What is the, the premise behind this uh, well, movement, really? Yeah, so a couple of years ago when we saw the riots in the streets and we saw BLM rise to ascendancy and get you know, given like millions of dollars, we noticed that there were Christians who had bought into this. And in fact, some of our friends had taken their kids out to protest with BLM. And they're Christians, right? So, we, so my wife turned to me and says, they don't realize that BLM is a Marxist organization, mm-hmm. a pro-choice organization, basically everything that we stand against. Anti-family. Anti-family. In fact, everything that they stand for is the cause of the problems in the black community, right? And the black community, had, if you look at them, they have the lowest medium income, they have the lowest literacy rate, all this stuff. But it's, so she said, you know, somebody needs to take a stand and give Christians a counter uh, organization. So she's turned to me and she said, you and Kevin and um, my friend Kevin McGarry, who is the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation in California, um, she said, go, you should call him and tell him to do something. So I called Kevin up. Kevin called up the National Frederick Douglass Foundation and said, hey, yeah, this is a great idea. We should do something. They called back saying, we can't really, we're so busy right now with some other things with the middle of the election and all that stuff. Um, they said, uh, you and Neil need to do it. So Kevin calls me up and says, I guess you and I are going to do it. And I, mm. I looked at him and I said, Kevin, I don't know if you've looked lately, but I'm not black. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin cracks up. He says, no, no, but you are African-American. And I said, well, you got me on that because I grew up, I was born and brought up in Africa. Right? Right. <laughs> he said, in fact, says, you're more African-American than I am, right? Yeah, that is true. So in, said, in a strict sense, <laughs> you, you are African-American. Right. So I said, OK, OK, you got me on that. He said, so, so he's, the, he's the CEO, the president of the, of the uh, organization, Every Black Life Matters. And we decided we wanted to name it something really similar to BLM because there are many other good black groups that are the counter, but nobody pays attention to them in this context. They don't see them as a viable option. So that's why we said we want to use the same sort of initial, same sort of concept, but instead we say every black life matters. And if you look at our logo, the most prominent thing on our logo is the baby's feet. 
Because right. that's one of the first things that you got. Because if because you, unborn unborn lives black are lives also black. Matter. Yes, <laughs> you know, and they also matter. But more than that, we when we went down the list of BLM's standards and what they stood for, we realized every single one of them, as I mentioned before, was actually the cause of black plight today. And for instance, uh, it, and it all goes back to the 1960s and 70s. Uh, back in the 70s, uh, the, uh, a certain party we won't name wanted to bring blacks over to their side to vote for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they decided the best way to do it was to give a focus on them and bring them into the welfare roles. Mm-hmm. And so before the 70s, the black fatherlessness rate was about 24%. High, but not uh, horrible. Um, today, it's 74%. Mm. 72%, right? Uh, well, what happened? Well, the welfare laws reward the mother if there's no father in the home. They incentivized exactly. illegitimacy. Exactly. So so let's say maybe you didn't start that way. Maybe you had a you were on the welfare rolls, but then suddenly your husband lost his job or something like that. You realized you would get more money if he wasn't around. And so when the welfare worker came around, dad had to hide himself, right? And then later on, well, I don't need that. And so you get pushed out. And so you end up with that 74% fatherlessness. So today... And in some parts of Chicago, it's even higher. So what happens as a result of that is that young women are looking for father figures. So guess what? They get sexually active. They're looking for males, right? They get sexually active at a younger age. Young men are looking for a male father figure, right? So what do they do? They get involved in gangs. What does gangs have to do? Well, they get involved in extortion, violence, and drugs, right? So you get this horrible cocktail of mixtures. In, and, and people say, well, that's all racism. No, because in the 1930s, the fatherlessness was so much lower, and you could go into the black portions of the city, and you'd see fathers hanging out with their kids, and you'd see fathers walking around. Now you go into some of the poorer portions of the black city. You don't see fathers anywhere. You don't see anybody anywhere. Why? Because all the doors are blocked and barred, and you might see a few gang members hanging out there. Right? So that has changed. It wasn't racism that changed. It was the welfare law. So that's mm-hmm. number one. The second thing that we've noticed is that as a result of that violence in the school, public schools have horrible literacy rates, right? Yes. In the height of the Jim Crow laws in the 1930s, the lit- black literacy rate was 70%. Today, if you're lucky, it's 18%. And right. in Chicago, it's 4%. Right. Right? Uh, we were just there. With, uh, I mean, say that again. The literacy rate among high school uh, it, yeah. I don't want to say graduates because sadly so many yeah. don't. 4% literacy rate. In Chicago, according to Pastor Corey Brooks, who we were just visiting him in, in Chicago the other day. Mm. Right? So mm. we see this. Tragic. Now, now this, but 68% of African Americans want uh, school vouchers, choices, right? They want to take the kids out of those schools and put them somewhere else. But the unions in a certain party won't allow them to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's another issue. And then the last issue that we deal with, we talk about the, the real, the life issue. There are 44 million African Americans today. There would have been 64 million. Mm-hmm. 20 million of them have been killed by abortion. Guess who's funding those abortions? Tax money. Yeah. So the, the tax money got, got them into the welfare situation. The tax money is killing. Now, 20, 20 million, that's a third of all African Americans have been killed in the womb. There would be 50% more African Americans today if it hadn't been for Planned Parenthood and uh, the programs that the government is. Talk, talk about a targeted genocide. And I mean, you look where I, I travel a lot. You and I both, we speak, we're all over the country. Uh, in the last 15 years, I've made 31 or two trips to California to speak. I mean, you look uh, at Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, uh, the boroughs of New York, in the, in the inner city, the, the largely black urban areas, that's where the abortuaries yeah. are. Yeah, well, so, so yeah, 13% of African-Americans in population, 13% of the population is African-Americans, 79% of all Planned Parenthoods are within walking distance of a black community. 
And people say, well, that's where they want the services. No, that's where the government is willing to pay for the services. Because if you want the services, go to the richer parts, because white people also have abortions, right? Right. <laughs> but the money but, isn't but, there. Uh, Planned Parenthood, I mean, their business model, the, their target demo, yeah. their target demographic is inner-city black America. Right. Well, and some people, some of your listeners are now going, wait, 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 Margaret Sanger. Exactly, you're right, because Margaret Sanger, back in the days when she started Planned Parenthood, said we don't want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And I don't know how. I've looked at those words 15 times, and every time I can't come away with any other explanation of what she's saying except we want to exterminate the Negro population. We don't want a word to get out of it. So this was intentional. Yeah, it was intentional. This hey, hey, by the way, let me just say this. If you're just tuning in, Neil Mauman, author, uh, public intellectual, Christian thinker, and one of the principals of everyblacklifematters.com, everyblm.com. Uh, Neil, I'm sure you're probably familiar with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's 1963 Pulitzer Prize winning book, Why We Can't Wait, which was really his manifesto of the civil rights movement. By the way, I would encourage you, please read that book. I've read it literally dozens of times. It's a wonderful work steeped in Christianity. Uh, A couple of things I want to point out um, about Dr. King in that book. uh, He he talks about the fact, he said that, and I, I want to use his words because it was published in 1963. It won a Pulitzer. And he talks about Christianity, everybody's made in God's image. He quotes Augustine. He quotes Thomas Aquinas. He predicates the validity of the civil rights movement on a biblical worldview. Uh, Every human is made in God's image. Therefore, every human has inherent worth and value and dignity, which is true. But then he goes on, and he says that many of my fellow Negroes are disen, disenchanted with America because of racism and Jim Crow laws. And he, and he says some have um, gravitated toward Mohammedism. Yeah. In other words, they've left Islam. Christianity, Islam. But, but he says, this I take to be a disastrous error. That's what he said. But here's the thing I want uh, you to comment on, if you would, please. Dr. King said, um, we've got to stay wedded to principles, not a party. And he said, right now, the Republican Party seems to be more favorable to the civil rights movement. This was in 1963. He said, in the future, um, it, it would be disastrous if the Negro were in the hip pocket of only one political party. No. <laughs> which is precisely what has happened. It's exactly what's happening now, right? But, and, and, uh, but, and you understand it. If you're an elite and you want to control the masses, how do you control them? Well, you keep them dependent upon you, right? And anytime they try to buck away from it or they try to you know, uh, shake off the reins, you're going to try to try putting them in. So we have a plan with every BLM.com. We have plans on how to change these because these are all changeable. First of all, we teach you a way to speak to a BLMer. So if somebody comes saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, you say, well, let me, I, I agree with you, but does every single black life matter to you? And what are they going to say? They have to say yes. And then you say, and you talk about the fatherlessness. You say, do those fatherless black lives matter to you? Because we can change that by changing the welfare policy. And of course, they're going to have to say yes. And then you talk about the schools. You say, do the school children black lives matter to you? And then of course, they're going to have to say yes. And then finally, you talk about the genocide of 30% of African Americans. And you say, do those black lives, those unborn black lives matter to you? And then they're going to have to say yes again. And then you say, see, you agree with me and not BLM, because BLM wants all those things to continue. Mm. This is the American Family Radio Network. When you listen to Neil Mauman, you know, we say, 
wow, I am really glad he's on our team. <laughs> Listen, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. We're going to come back with Jerome from Oklahoma on the, the call and 888-589-8840. Your calls, your comments, we welcome you to uh, chime in on the conversation on this edition of the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here, coming to you live from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. God bless you. Stand strong for truth. We're here to help you do that. Don't go away. We're back after this. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true, and if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at afa.net. The Freedom Convoy in Canada was intended to peacefully get the government's attention and restore basic freedoms. Instead, Prime Minister Trudeau seized the chance to increase the government's power. Matthew White points out in his article in The Stand, it's not the first time such tactics have been used. This is a situation everyone needs to be familiar with because it could happen anywhere, even in America. You should read Canada Just Proved Bigger Government Equals Less Freedom at afa.net slash the stand. We've always had an interest. God has given us a gift of being able to help a lot of people with their finances and budgets and stuff. AFA supporters Bernie and Alice Larson met Dan Celia at a Faith, Family, and Finance town hall meeting. And he answered some questions, and we were thinking about the charitable gift annuities, and we'd never heard of that before, but we thought, well, we'd always wanted to leave some of our money with for God, but we didn't know where or how. And it, we felt like this was put into our laps as answer to our prayers as to what we could do after we're gone. Bernie and Alice learned a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation would provide them with a monthly income for life as well as supporting the American Family Association into the future. You can learn more about charitable gift annuities and other financial products at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. And uh, you just can't outgive God. Welcome back to the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarlane, a very special edition of the program with Neil Mommen. Hey, we're going to go to the phones. Uh, we've got Jerome in Oklahoma. Jerome, thanks for holding, and welcome to our morning conversation with apologist and author Neil Mommen. Welcome, Jerome. Well, I'd like to say thank you. Um, my question is, as far as you know, uh, you quoted, let us reason, but... I, I found out that people won't even listen to that as a, a example, uh, uh, and I'm not for or against, you know, the vaccine, but I'd say things that don't make sense, like if the vaccine was so important, where are all the legal a- aliens coming over the border, and they're not getting vaccinated, and they're, you know, can, you know, infect the public. And then I was told, well, I don't know that they're not getting vaccinated. I mean, I'm not there. They could be getting vaccinated. And using reasoning, you say, well, I'm sure a legal alien is going to go to the hospital or Walgreens and get a vaccinated shot. They could. I don't know. You know, <laughs> and every opposition, it's always, I don't know. It's like abortion. You know, 
I'd say, well, isn't it funny that, you know, more black babies are being aborted? I don't know. But but Jerome, you're being consistent. Uh, You know we don't do that in 2022. You can't be logical. You're you're being reasonable and consistent, Jerome. We don't do that anymore. Neil, what do you say? Every situation, I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Well, see, that's the question. But but here's the sad thing about that. You can actually get the records. I mean, we have something called Google today, right? Now, if you start Google the centers for, uh, you know, uh, for migrant workers, vaccinations, and all that, you can actually find out that they're not being vaccinated or they're being vaccinated in very low numbers because they don't trust the government either, right? And, I, and you're absolutely correct. I, this is my personal view. I think the vaccines are actually dangerous for you in many cases because it turns out that the chances of dying for COVID is less than driving 11 miles a day. So in other words, you're more likely to die driving 11 miles a day than you are from getting COVID. So Unless you have a comorbidity. So maybe if you're in that group and and it's like if you're not in that group, then the chances drop by like 96 percent of dying from COVID. So the the vaccine chances of dying are a bit less than that. But the question is, do you really want to risk it? Because we don't have all the evidence from the vaccine. In fact, Mm -hmm. as time goes through with these vaccines, we may find out there's a lot more things coming out. There are all these tales coming out about blood clots and, and Personally, I had a, um, I, I, dis- I used to disciple, sadly, I used to disciple a young black friend of mine. He was like 26 years old, and I, I discipled him, led him to the Lord, and uh, he got a job offer, and he was really looking forward to it, and he, uh, under pressure from them, took the vaccine and died in his mother's arms from a blood, uh, his brain just bled out through his nose. Mm. I mean, just, he just died of uh, blood loss uh, two days later. I'm not sorry, two weeks later in his mother's arms. And that, to me, said, look, here's a very healthy kid, nothing wrong with him, no history of any of these traumas, and suddenly he dies in his mother's arms. And it was just, uh, so I I don't trust the vaccines personally. None of my family have gotten it and Mm -hmm. uh, won't get it unless they can give me a few 10 years of, uh, of evidence that it sure. actually works. And it's worth it. I and mean, it's not because I'm not afraid of COVID because also the, all the research being of Indian ancestry in India, they've eliminated uh, a lot of the deaths from COVID using ivermectin. In fact, there's the state of Uttar Pradesh, oh, yes. which yeah. is one of the least educated literate states in, in India. It's a farming state, a very productive farming state, but not, you know, they're not in the sciences and the maths as much, and they have reduced the deaths from, um, by issuing everybody ivermectin, which is one of the cheapest drugs available. In fact, if you look at all the statistics in Africa, the countries with histories of malaria and river blindness mm-hmm. have one-tenth the mortality rate and the infection rate than any other country. And these are third-world countries, you know, the kind of countries I grew up in, and they have mortality rates of one-tenth. Why? Because they use HCQ and ivermectin as a daily part of their regimen for river blindness and but, malaria. No, as I'm sure you know, the World Health Organization, they've got like five or six basic necessary medicines to humanity, yeah. and aspirin is one of them. The basics that should be available to everybody, like erythromycin is one of them, but also ivermectin. And, uh, do you know, I, I do a lot of traveling. People have asked me, and listen, I give God the glory. The Lord keeps me healthy. I've spoken in 2,000 churches, 200 universities. Um, listen, I, I've not gotten the vaccine. I won't get it. My wife is a nurse. We have lots of medical doctors in our life, always have. Medical doctors of every strata. Uh, my wife just recertified for five more years of nursing. 
And uh, let me just say, those close to us, people that trust us, people that pray for me as an evangelist, have advised me not to take, off record, I would never use names, uh, I've had medical doctors say, look, um, you need ivermectin. And I've not gotten COVID. I've, I've taken no protocols other than I say my prayers. Uh, first of all, as a Christian, you know, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die. I want to live to be 100. I want to be preaching the gospel at triple digits. But, but I want to say this, Neil, and I don't mean to get us off track, but I've been a little disheartened at the way that many of my Christian friends have just been paranoid. I'm talking debilitated by fear over COVID. And I'm not saying be reckless. And look, I'm only speaking for Alex McFarland. I'm not speaking right. for anybody else. But um, I think we're called to trust God and live our lives. And, and I really think the degree to which many Americans have just rolled over and played dead here and have been very nice little compliant sheep jeopardizes our representative republic. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, the vaccine mandates are t- completely unconstitutional. There's nothing in the, in the uh, Constitution that says you can give everybody a shot, right, uh, even in a pandemic or whatever. So we go to a church that we call it the finest church in America because we have $4 million in fines. <laughs> the <laughs> <Right>? finest. <laughs> so it's in San, it's Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Our pastor Mike McClure refused to shut down, and so the county started fining us and fining us, fining us. Uh, out of that, I I created oh not created I I was part of an organization that grew as a result of that. It's called the Values Advocacy Council, and we would bring people in uh, to speak about these issues in violation of the county's non gathering. <laughs> no. But what what I said is like you can't use a pandemic to overcome the First Amendment. Right. The free gathering of people and the free assembly, free assembly is you're not allowed to because what? Because if you can use a pandemic, a fake pandemic, a real pandemic to stop people from gathering, then the Constitution has no basis. Right. Yeah. And the freedom, that right comes from God. We don't have constitutional rights. We have God given rights. The Constitution and, and give us let me rights. say so many governors like Gretchen Whitmer have the, the full faith and credit. In other words, the Constitution applies uniformly and it, the Constitution is. Uh, in force, in perpetuity, right. that's just been selectively applied, overridden, suspended. Uh, anyway, continue. Yeah, and but, King George would have used a pandemic to shut us down if he could have, right? Oh, yeah. We knew that Gladly. there were evil people out there going to use evil motives. So you can't make an exception for anything, however good it is, right? So that's number one. The second thing is that we need to realize that uh, if if people want to do the research, they can choose to do, take the vaccine themselves. And everybody I recommend, go do the research. Because you know what? When you're playing with something like this, you can't trust the government. Let me explain why. The government did the Tuskegee experiments on black people. Yes. The government did, in 2005, Fauci, uh, they did a report by BBC showing that Fauci had used black foster kids to test HIV drugs on it. Right? The government told us that carbohydrates were good for us, but now we realize carbohydrates is what's killing us. Mm. And protein was bad for us, right? Mm-hmm. So you cannot trust the government. The government, uh, the government approved tal- thalilamide. I can never pronounce yeah, it. Thalidomide. Right. Thalilamide, right? And which which paralyzed or uh, uh, di- disfigured many babies yeah. uh, in utero. Not baby. paralyzed. Yeah, yeah. yeah disfigured. Every now in all my travels, every now and then I'll see people of a certain age that I know were thalidomide babies, babies because right? no fingers, no hand, yeah. and and so you cannot trust the government. The government is actually out there because they are. They are the servant of the highest bidder. Yeah. And just think about this. The party of my body, my choice, has been the party that says, take the jab. 
you know, I, isn't that something? Yeah, exactly. So, suddenly, <laughs> it's not it's not your body anymore. It's the government's body. Yeah, suddenly, body uh, bodily autonomy doesn't apply anymore. And I've got to believe, from the shadows of eternity, history's dictators are looking at. Uh, the government of America and saying, uh, you're good. Yeah, I'm going to use this on the next one, right? You've raised the bar for all of us. Yeah. And that's actually what the scariest thing is that so many Christians rolled over and said, yes, we're going to let the government do this. But don't you realize that when tyranny comes, in my book on politics, Jesus is involved in politics, I have people say, Neil, this is America. It's never going to happen here. I'm like, what nations die? History is littered with their bones. Do not be arrogant thinking America won't die because we're America. What's Neil, so special about 20 it? 20 years ago when I went to work for James Dobson, Focus on the Family, and one of the greatest blessings of my life, Dr. Dobson, I put him right up there with Billy Graham. Uh, he, he's a mix of C.S. Lewis and Billy Graham all in one. Brilliant Christian yeah. thinker, evangelistic heart. Pastor friends that had mentored me said, Alex... You don't want to go out there. There are a bunch of alarmist. Gay marriage will never happen yeah. in America. This I mean. is America. Transgender, gay, all this stuff Dobson is on about, it'll never happen in America. I was with Dr. Dobson a few months ago. He said, you know, if anything, Don Wildman, Chuck Colson, James Dobson, Phyllis Schlafly. James Kennedy. D. James, he said, we understated yeah. the threat yeah. rather than overstated. No, a funny thing is on, in my book, the first chapter of my book, I wrote it in 2008, right? I, I let I let a 18 year old read it because he was like, "Oh, I want to read it." So he, he read the first chapter and he came back. And says, "You know, I don't get that first chapter." I'm like, "Why?" He says, "Well, it's supposed to be alarmist. It's not alarming." I said, "What do you mean?" And I go back and I read it, and everything I said was going could happen. I said, it "Could happen if we don't act." Has already happened. I said, "Oh my goodness, I got to rewrite that first chapter because." Anybody who reads it now go, oh, so what? Yeah, yeah, sure. What? That, that's sure. like my, my book, The Assault on America. I read a book in the fall of 2020, and while I was writing the book, I mentioned on the radio, you know, I got an unmarked letter from, the, from somebody with, within the DNC. I said, here's the Biden-Harris platform. Uh, everybody said, no way. And to a, to a point, it it's was. what they've been doing. Folks, we've had a great hour. Stay tuned. The American Family Radio Network is going to come back in just a moment. We're at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Alex McFarland broadcasting with great voices like Neil Mauman, great Christian thinkers. We are here to help you stand strong for God and country. Be equipped to present, explain, defend your Christian faith. And if you don't know the Lord, let us just say Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Folks, this is real. The gospel is true, and God really does love you. Stay tuned. The American Family Radio Network is back right after this. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.